to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to resiliency, crisis management, business continuity, disaster planning, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if there's something you want us to specifically talk about or you'd like to be a guest, please feel free to send me an email. If you go to the Voice America webpage for the show, and there's a button at the bottom of the graphic. You can send me an email. I do respond to all emails. And we'll see about finding someone to talk about uh, the topic or making arrangements to get you to come on the show. You can also use that same button if you want to uh, do some adverts, uh, get promote your product or service. You know, um, we're more than happy to uh, put something together for you. Uh, so feel free, send me an email there. And I'd like to, I think I've mentioned this a few times now, but uh, we're just in the final stages of confirming uh, that we're going to be doing a live event once again at the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference in Phoenix, September 29th to October 2nd, I think are the dates. And this year we might, fingers crossed, we might actually be filming it, not just uh, airing so uh, through the internet. Uh, so fingers crossed we'll be able to film. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And today's show is brought to us by the uh, good folks over at Stone Road, uh, stone-road.com and their application boast assessment where you can do yourself uh, assessment of your uh, disaster or business continuity programs and uh, find out your weaknesses and uh, where you need to concentrate your efforts. So long time listeners, you will know my next guest. Uh, he was here uh, before, and we were talking about some uh, project management and business continuity and how they can work together, of which I'm a huge advocate of as well, so I'm really happy to have this guest back. He is the author of Managing Projects in Trouble, Achieving Turnaround and Success, and that is a big topic in the business continuity disaster uh, planning uh, resiliency world because we're always you know, trying to keep our programs going forward and Unfortunately, we hit a lot of roadblocks, and my guest today is going to help us identify uh, what some of those roadblocks are, how we identify them, and how we can get over them or through them. And so I'd like to welcome back to the show, Ralph Klein. Ralph, welcome back. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I'm glad to be here. And for anybody who didn't listen to uh, your last show, shame on them. Uh, could you give us a, a quick um, update really on what you're doing and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, as, as you mentioned, my name is Ralph Kleem. Uh, I'm a, I have um, a uh, PMP, that's a project management professional designation, and a CBCP, which is a certified business continuity uh, professional designation as well. Um, I'm a project manager of um, uh, business management and information technology projects for over 30 years, and I'm the author or co-author of 300-plus articles as well as 10-plus books on project management and information technology topics. 
Um, in addition, I also teach uh, at the local universities here in the Puget Sound area and also uh, with the colleges, and as well as professional seminars and workshops on both uh, project management and business continuity. Wow, you do a lot of writing, that's for sure. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I let's enjoy jump it. right into Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. Well, that you know, I've got a couple of your books here, so <laughs> they're doing well. <laughs> um, let's just jump straight into managing projects in trouble. Uh, how do we recognize when our, you know, business continuity or any program really or project, you know, when are they off the rails? How can we recognize that? And, and, and Alex, I'm glad you brought that up because these are uh, the, a lot of these issues or challenges or problems, however you want to define them. Uh, they surface on whether they're business continuity or information technology or business management projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they tend to have a lot of characteristics uh, associated uh, with. Um, the failure, of course, to, to deliver the, the, a product of quality, meaning that it, it satisfies the customer's requirements. Um, I like to use the word client because it, it sounds more, to me, it sounds more, uh, you're more attuned to the needs of the, the organization or person that you're delivering the product to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you, a lot of the manifestations is not meeting the schedule, not meeting costs, not delivering a product that says it's supposed to deliver. And, uh, but in addition, there are some other, uh, I like to call uh, uh, issues or manifestations of projects that are in trouble, regardless of whether it's business continuity or otherwise. And some of these um, really basically boil down to uh, uh, understanding what the customer wants, uh, that is a lack of uh, scope definition, uh, things like uh, uh, not able to make a decision and things delay onward and onward, uh, unclear roles and responsibilities, uh, and that includes authorities, uh, as well as um, technical issues that may arise. And, and a lot of times uh, there's always this approach on projects that there's a feeling like one size fits all. So, mm-hmm. um, and so... Th- a lot of times, projects fail to adapt to their current circumstances uh, that they're in, and as a result, uh, you, some of the problems that I just discussed, cost, schedule, quality uh, issues arise. And, of course, then the, the risks end up becoming issues, and, um, and then all, a host of other problems uh, start surfacing as well. And... And I'll tell you, one of the biggest ones that I think is very important to keep in mind, uh, a problem that all centers around communication, the inability for people to feel confident in themselves, in their project manager, in their management, the organizational structure, is to be able to raise issues early on rather than burying them um, uh, in the organization or pretending like they don't exist. Um, I hate to use a, a worn-out analogy, but uh, when people put their heads in the sand like an ostrich, though I understand ostriches don't do that, but the analogy yeah. kind of fits. So you mentioned um, you know cost and, and and things like that when we're developing our you know emergency response plans or whatever you know. Does that mean um, when we have one issue, we're all of a sudden off the rails? 
no, you got to have. You have. I mean, it's, it's it's usually a multiplicity of issues. So let me take it in the context of a, a business continuity environment. So you know, I used to put for the major airplane programs for a, a large manufacturing environment. Nothing to do with the current circumstance that um, surrounds this company, uh, but. Uh, wanted a pro- putting together business continuity plans together, getting them put together involves, you know, getting people engaged. And so you manage the mm-hmm. team to get these uh, uh, responses, uh, response plans in case there's a breakdown in supply chain, et cetera. You got to get the right people involved, and they develop their business continuity plans. Not uh, you don't do it solo. And a lot of times, a lot of these plans that don't get uh, buy-in, whether developed when you're creating, you know, you have a regular project, and even if you do a test and maintain of these plans, uh, they don't get people, they don't get people engaged. You say, this is what you're going to do, blah, 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 and if you start getting in a cross-functional environment like I did, uh, then what happens is, um, you know, people won't, when, the, when an incident does occur, uh, some type of an event, uh, rather, then what happens mm-hmm. is is that uh, people don't buy in and they don't respond uh, accordingly. So the whole idea is you want to get a, a business continuity project uh, up and, and running right away in the right in the appropriate manner, so that people will give you good feedback and will also be engaged in the plan that's developed. And so you'll see that a lot of times uh, the projects that uh, got in trouble, if uh, for using that term, by using that term, uh, what happens is is they didn't get the right people engaged. They didn't get the communications. They didn't have a. They didn't put a at least a high level plan of how they're going to get from point A to point Z to get their get their business continuity plan together and how they're going to test it and how they're going to mm-hmm. maintain their plans. Uh, out in the field. So you bring up a good point here with people being engaged. That's popped up uh, quite a bit in um, various shows, regardless of the topic. So Mm -hmm. if we've got different people writing, you know, their business continuity plans or resiliency plans, whatever you want to call them, what suggestions do you have to get people engaged at the beginning? How do we do that as business continuity people or, or disaster planners, whatever. What are your recommendations to get these people engaged? How do we get them on board? So as you say, further down the road, they are, they do have buy-in and they are participating, you know? Yeah, good question. And, and that's always been a tough one, but it, it I've been pretty lucky in, in the past. Uh, I've had very little resistance for a number of reasons. One of them is because I got, Man, senior management involved up front. I kept them mm. engaged in in the the process. I uh, I had their, my entrance in a uh, session with them, um, uh, and, uh, and and ensured that they understood what was required. They also need, uh, also communicated to them that it was in, uh, at least in the corporation I was uh, at is is the fact that uh, it was. An, an adopted policy policy by the corporation that you would have business continuity plans in place. So from that standpoint, I had the executive leadership uh, behind me, and then as you went into the different groups and or you know they crossed different uh, production lines, 
what happened was is that I, I had to buy in. I, I kept them abreast at all times of how well uh, the project was going. Uh, I had a schedule. I got their input on the schedule. So it wasn't like I was forcing the schedule in them. I let them choose their team members on who would be mm. on, the, on the plan and who was required. And then, of course, uh, I, gave st- I collected status uh, from time to time uh, on a regular and even on an ad hoc basis and communicated that status to the right stakeholders. So it really boils down, uh, I think, to communication. And everybody understands not only what they're trying to achieve, but who's going to contribute to the overall building of that plan. So is it better, execution. I'm sorry. Right. Well, that's okay. So is it better to start with senior management and then push down, or is it um, to try and do a combination of you know senior management and uh, you know the key players, the the active participants, so to speak, get them on board and push up? Is it a combination? Well, you, 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 I mean, you know, that, see, that's. Uh, <laughs> I don't like the term push down. So I don't, you know, usually, you know, you're not saying, you know, you're going to do this and this and this and this, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It it usually didn't work that way. And very rarely, unless it was a program that, or or an environment that was really negative. Uh, But basically, they will, they will, you'll have senior management, you get them engaged, and they may come in at, they'll give you the people to contact and when the, you set up all the meetings and the, do the planning and the contents of the plan and et cetera. And, and, and they may be there for the beginning. And then they, they extricate themselves and then, and then you're pretty much managing that. Well, you are, you're managing, and I prefer the word leading that team, uh, mm-hmm. to get from, uh, you know, get from point A to point Z. Uh, and uh, and you're really working with the people that do the work, and they get, for the most part, uh, they're all professional and they want to get engaged. I've I've gotten very little uh, pushback uh, when people got engaged, but if you you got to remember when you're doing business continuity plans, uh, to a lot of places, these aren't their primary mission, so to speak. You know, they're, right. they're they're in a they're in another environment. They're doing their day to day work. They're doing their other stuff that has to be done. And then business continuity uh, is like life insurance. It's an afterthought. And uh, so you really want to work on getting all parties engaged. You just don't. I, I don't like the word push down. That's I, I think uh, that's definitely not. You don't want to do that. Uh, well, I apologize for using uh, that phrase because I don't use it either, but I do know that a lot of people understand it when I use it. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't like that phrase either. I completely on side and agree with you on that. You you mentioned a, a good point here uh, um, with their you know team members and their BAU tasks or business as usual tasks, their daily activities. How do you weigh that against, you know, business continuity management, you know, if they've got a lot to do in their daily activities, that's obviously at some point got to hurt your your program builds or your deliverables, you know, the things you're trying to get made. How do you deal with that? Well, there's, I mean, there's all sorts of ways it's in it. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's project management. You, you, you've got to be able to adapt. So you're going to have circumstances that, 
that arise that are going to interfere with your pro- uh, your project or the team's project, I should say, uh, with that of the uh, uh, ongoing operations business as usual uh, that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a general rule, um, you're going to be wor- if you work with the team, uh, you're going to get. Uh, and you get the plans, and you set up, you know, start setting up, a, a, for lack of a better term, a battle rhythm. Uh, then, um, then people know what to expect, and they can, uh, you know, adjust their schedules accordingly. And, and on the other hand, um, you know, um, it depends on who's paying as well for the uh, for putting the business continuities uh, plans together. Is it considered overhead? Or is there a direct charge line? At least that's for some of the issues uh, mm-hmm. that arose when we were trying to put business continuity plans together and when I was managing those projects. So that made a difference, too, where people uh, made their availability. Because if they had to absorb it in their own organizational overhead, that, that, that tended to make it a little more difficult to manage than uh, when uh, corporate had a a direct charge line, which uh, the the organization could charge to. Okay, and on that, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today, we're talking with Ralph Kleem, the author of Managing Projects in Trouble, Achieving Turnaround and Success. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Although a controversial subject, one thing that seems to be proven is that cannabis has some incredible medical properties. Join Dr. Joe Rosado for Talk. We'll talk about medical cannabis through research from Dr. Joe over the last decade. Plus, groundbreaking news, inspiration, and education that will have you thinking about the industry differently. Featuring guests and advice from Dr. Joe. Talk airs live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to preparing for the unexpected with alex bullock email your questions to info at stone-road.com again that's info at stone-road.com now back to preparing for the unexpected welcome back to the show we are talking with ralph claim uh, author of managing projects in trouble ralph in our first segment you gave us uh, some um pointers on when we can recognize when our projects or programs uh, are off the rails. But I'm wondering, are there any early warning signs for uh, our listeners out there that might, you know, might be having some struggles to say, hey, I'm on the uh, wrong path here because this and this and this, you know. So are there some early warning signs uh, that you have that uh, you could kind of uh, enlighten our listeners with? Well, I, I, I guess, I, like you said, I already mentioned a few of them, but I think um, uh, some of the early warning signs, of course, the, the ultimate one from a project management standpoint is you're missing your major milestones, which, of course, are an event that consumes no time or resources. It's like your anniversary or your, uh, or your birthday, right? And so if you consistently start slipping your milestones on your schedule, uh, then what will happen is is that um, that's a good key sign, especially if those milestones are on the critical path. And of course, the critical path, those items that can't push out in the schedule or it pushes up uh, the overall project or program uh, end date. Uh, the other one, of course, is you're constantly underestimating your cost, and of course you end up getting uh, cost overruns. Uh, you end up... Um, uh, you end up being in uh, constantly behind the eight ball, so to speak. What, ha- what happens is you're you're putting out fires, constantly doing that, and you're not being very uh, proactive in terms of taking the initiative. You're constantly reacting uh, to circumstances. That's a, a really bad sign. Uh, another one is you know from a morale standpoint, if you see people see or hear, especially hear people grumbling, and they're, mm-hmm. they're getting impatient uh, or getting frustrated, that, that, that is a tall tale sign that uh, there's problems, or that the customer doesn't uh, get engaged, or the client uh, doesn't get engaged in, in, in your project. And so uh, those are some of the manifestations, as I mentioned earlier, of, uh, of some of the uh, things to look out for that's cluing, cluing you that uh, there are uh, prob- uh, problems uh, surfacing on your project. Uh, another one is it probably if um, you have high turnover uh, on a project, that means your team members, of course, are not engaged in um, in your project and they're, they're looking for better opportunities or they're dissatisfied with the way things are going. Uh, there may be uh, things uh, working, you know, your relationship with uh, vendors 
contractors, uh, suppliers, whatever you want to call them, or partners, and uh, the interaction between the two, uh, between your your team and the uh, and, and the vendor, contractor, etc., uh, is not going well. Uh, they're hiding information, or they're not attending your meetings. Uh, those are type of things that can uh, indicate that there's a problem on your project. Uh, there could, there's there's all sorts of uh, unfortunately there's so myriad of ways that'll tell you that a project's in trouble. And if your instincts tell you your project's in trouble, it's probably in trouble. And uh, you know, and there, and people always think that you add more people, and that'll solve it. But that ends up adding a whole new level of complexity there. Um, you know, there's there's all sorts of uh, uh, ways that uh, poor projects um, or problems on projects represent poor performance on projects, and uh, you know, disengagement by team members and um, you know, ill-defined requirements. You know, what the heck does quality mean? Uh, those mm-hmm. type of things. Good. Um, I, I do want to get to uh, some stuff that you have in your book here, uh, but you got me thinking about one quick question. What about risk management? And I don't mean uh, risk uh, management by floods or fire. I mean, you know, managing risk as you're working on a, a project. Do you have anything to say uh, uh, with regards to that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, that that's a, a perfect question. Uh, and, and from a project management standpoint, of course, risk or uh, events or conditions that uh, can negatively or positively impact your project, right? So mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I have found from a project management standpoint and a program management standpoint is uh, both from a technical uh, and also from a business management, because sometimes when you manage technical projects, people forget all about the business side. And it, it is, the, is the fact that uh, a risk management is, is, should be, just like in the beginning of any project, should be a very important part of your planning. And, and, and making it an important part of your planning allows you to be proactive, not reactive, as, uh, as much as possible. It allows you to prioritize your risk that could potentially impact your project. And there's are things that, uh, that you're never going to be able to identify. And, of course, you're going to have a management reserve set aside, uh, hopefully, uh, or your management will. So when problems do, do occur that are unanticipated, you can address that. But that's all part of risk management on projects. It's extremely important also to keep in mind that you get the right people engaged in your risk management uh, for your projects. And you do it in the beginning, but it's not just in the beginning. You have to revisit your risks throughout the life cycle of a project. Unfortunately, what happens is, uh, and a lot of times, our projects, uh, they, they may do a very high-level cursory risk management, and but that's better than no risk management at all. But what happens is, is then they set it aside and they don't revisit the risk. And the circumstances that face your project are constantly changing and churning, and you need to make sure that your identification of risks, negative or positive, such as threats or opportunities, uh, are um, you're attuned to those as the circumstances progress throughout the life cycle of your project. Yeah. A project manager, a program manager now um, that I worked with years ago, I said, if you can manage your risks, 
okay, your program or project will be okay. So hope everybody listened to what Ralph had to say about that there. Um, so let's move to your book. You gave some uh, five uh, steps or, or areas that we can look at to help uh, turn our business continuity programs around or programs if there's a, uh, a, prog- a problem. And the first one was Energize. So I'm wondering, can you uh, explain what you mean by that and you know some examples? Yeah, sure. Uh, let me, um, you know, for uh, either fortune or misfortune uh, throughout my career, <laughs> uh, I've always been brought into projects that are in trouble. And uh, maybe that's a compliment. Maybe I'm just uh, a masochist or I, I work for a bunch of sadists. I don't know. But uh, the 18-hour uh, workdays uh, at six months at a time can get grueling. But one of the things when you, you get back into a uh, a project that's in trouble, you know, the, the, uh, the synergy is kind of lost. And people are beat up. People are tired, they're worn out, um, there's a, a lot of times the communication is broken down, uh, a lot of times the people don't know where they're going, so one of the first things, the reason why I picked Energize is that, uh, it, it, and, I, and this is based upon my personal experience that I've gone through, and so, you know, as I was going through and I was going and thinking about my life and career managing projects is that I recognize that um, uh, one of the things that you got to do is energize people. And by that, I mean, you got to get that spark going again. You got to get them excited about what they're doing, what they're about their project. And, and so um, you, you, it really requires getting uh, people to start getting things done and want to get things done. And it's really, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's building that esprit de corps uh, that's necessary to get people focused on getting the project back on track. And so one of the things, you want to make sure that uh, you get the right people on board. And you may have the right people on board, but you want to make sure that there, you get kind of a core group together. And I think that that's important. Uh, the other thing is you want to do some team-building activities. And, you know, uh, one of the things that, that for some reason works, everybody's gone through them, like Myers-Briggs and all that other stuff, mm-hmm. but there's all yeah. sorts of different personality things and team-building things that you can do that people kind of start doing it and like, yeah, I understand, yeah, this is important. Uh, and then also get people to feel like uh, there's a need to revisit or uh, uh, the vision and change it into something meaningful, not only to the customer, but also to themselves. Because like I said, people are going to be uh, feeling uh, uh, they're dissatisfied. They feel kind of, wow, how did I ever get into this mess? Uh, mm-hmm. They're wondering what impact it could have on their career. Uh, but... Uh, but the idea here is you want to get them to start looking at what has been and currently being done necessary, and get the, and that's a good way to get them engaged. Uh, one of the things that I, I have found uh, when I got people engaged is I actually met with everybody on the team one-on-one in private, 
and I got them to find out what talk talk with them and find out exactly what it is that they'd like to see on the project in in terms of both the success for the project as a whole, but also what they want to see personally, the old whiff of what's in it for me uh, type thing, right. and, and get them uh, excited about the uh, about the project again, so they feel like you know they're not just a cog in a machine, and uh, and so of course this takes requires not getting involved in uh, the personalities. Uh, of people because everybody's different. What you want to do is stick stick straightly to facts and data about the project and about what they want. But and so uh, getting them engaged and don't appear as the, the legal term says arbitrary and capricious in terms of how you want to um, uh, you know uh, how you want to get these people in, engaged. The, the day of the super technical or all-knowing project manager, I think, is pretty much dead. Uh, you want The bi- biggest way to energize a team is to get them engaged and make them feel like they matter. They're crucial to the success of the project <laughs> from this point onward. So whatever happened in the past, that's in the past. It's only what matters is from this point onward. So is, is that the next one you have in vision? Well, is that a part of that? Yeah, and it, the vision, envisioning uh, requires then going into the vision itself and start doing some analysis, working with the team, getting them involved, uh, getting uh, not just the team but other stakeholders involved in the in the project, and and and, and, and taking that information that you got out of the um, out of Energize in in putting it into developing either a revised or new vision for the project. So you bring up a good point here, and and probably should clarify it up front. You talk about the five uh, processes that I identified, actions, but the the whole idea here is this is nonlinear. It's not meant Mm -hmm. to be linear. All these things interact. All, All five of these actions interact with each other, and uh, it's important uh, to recognize that fact. Uh, so you're always constantly going to, throughout the life cycle, uh, look at the vision. You're going to execute it, but then you're going to look back at your vision, making sure you're on track. You're going to do things to energize, and you've got to energize throughout the life cycle of a project. So that's why you'll see in the book I use data flow diagrams because uh, they're displayed in an, a, a nonlinear manner. Uh, so it's... it's so I'm sorry, I just wanted to make that point. Well, I was going to ask that, uh, actually, you know, if, if you, you do this in a step-by-step, like a waterfall-type approach to use project management lingo, you know, um, <clears throat> but it's not. It's more um, you're, you kind of do them all together, you know, over and over again. That's correct. That's correct. So just out of curiosity, is. Out of the five, and I'm not sure if we mentioned all five, I, I better say them, energize, no, envision, explore, evaluate, and execute. Is right. any one of those more important than the other? No, where, where people they're, they're all very important. I, you know, and so that's why I did it nonlinear. Uh, but if I had to pick an important one, uh, you know, if I said one is important as the other, uh, I, would, uh, I would put the first one as the most important. Uh, I've, my experience has been uh, when people are engaged, 
when they're excited about the project and they feel like they have a sense of ownership, a lot of these other things fall in place. And oh. um, and so I, I think absolutely the first one. You know, I've been in projects, excuse me, where the resources have been limited. The time, the time, which I guess time is a resource, as well as money, um, and even the, the, the number of people have been limited, um, especially right after 9-11, um, is, um, you know, our backs were against the wall. Uh, the projects were ready to get canceled. Uh, people were going to lose their job. And they gave us six months uh, to turn that project, uh, turn three projects, actually, to kind of parallel each other around. A lot of the same people were shared among the projects. And, it, uh, and, and you know, I, the first thing I had to do is do whatever, all the things I talked about in the uh, Envision. I did that for Sarbanes-Oxley for the company, uh, for, and I've applied it to also uh, setting up uh, PMOs for, or PMOs, project management offices. And it's very important uh, to get that energy up front and to sustain that mm-hmm. energy. And that's the hard part, is sustaining the energy. And, uh, but it all works its way through. Um, so I would say if I had to choose I pick energize, and that t- requires not, not you know I, I don't want to you know I don't want to talk strictly about you know I don't want to brag or anything like that because I, I don't, <laughs> don't like that. But you know, as the Chinese say, you know, self praise is no praise at all, right? And so right. the whole idea is um, you just want to get you just want to get people engaged. And I really, it, it's leadership. You know, and that's basically uh, what you're trying to give. You know, you can go through manager, be a manager, project manager, do step by step by step and still fall off the cliff. So you want to make sure uh, that you get that human element really engaged. And, and, it, and, it, and communications is key to it and, and, and engagement. It's interesting. You can have the most complex uh, technologies and complex programs and projects, but it really comes down to people all the time and how how they respond and react, right? Right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, in an article I wrote a long time ago, and actually it was a it was I actually used it for a book for Gower called "The People Side of Project Management," and I have this triangle, you know, in the typical. Uh, older triangle in project management, a cost at the top, uh, schedule and um, cost schedule and scope, and in the middle you got risk, and then you have a circle around the triangle and its quality. Well, I replaced the risk, and I put in the middle of the triangle people. And if you put mm-hmm. people in the middle of everything, it, it will, and if they're managed well, led well, um, then uh, the cost will fall, fall in place for the most part. And there's things that are, you know, it's not 100% because you're dealing with uh, people rather than things, right? And right. so you, it, it, cost falls in place, schedule starts falling in place, and so does the scope. And if you've got good change management and other disciplines, et cetera, then what happens is those parts are cemented together, for lack of a better choice, 
um, through the, through people. And people, whether they're internal to the project or external to the project, if you get them engaged, which is not an easy thing to do, but when you get them engaged, projects do pull through. They will go through extreme circumstances, because I've witnessed this, where they will mm-hmm. in, in really extreme circumstances, 18-hour workdays for six months, and will de- and deploy a system uh, or you know, satisfy compliance projects, which, like Sarbanes-Oxley, um, under extreme conditions if they're highly engaged. And uh, it, it, it works. Um, you know, not all the time, yeah. I'm sure. I've had, I've had a few, uh, you know, I've had one or two tough projects that didn't work out, and I've made some mistakes as well. Um, but that's how I learn, you know, through life. Uh, and I think that's a perfect uh, spot uh, to end our second segment. We're talking with Ralph Kleem, the author of Managing Projects in Trouble, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Although a controversial subject, one thing that seems to be proven is that cannabis has some incredible medical properties. Join Dr. Joe Rosado for Talk. We'll talk about medical cannabis through research from Dr. Joe over the last decade. Plus, groundbreaking news, inspiration, and education that will have you thinking about the industry differently. Featuring guests and advice from Dr. Joe. Medicana Talk airs live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Ralph Klein, the author of Managing Projects in Trouble. Uh, Ralph, you've given us a lot of great information on uh, how we can uh, keep our business continuity programs or other projects, you know, going forward and things we sh- could look out for. Um, but I'm wondering one thing, uh, and we because we see this in the news actually, when uh, a program or a project, a company, an individual is in trouble, you know, they're stuck in a hole. Their idea of getting out of the hole is to keep digging. So I'm wondering. If we've got a project or a program that's experiencing um, some issues, how do we get people to stop doing what they're doing if that's the only thing they know? How, do, how can we kind of turn that around? Not just tell them, you know, start doing this, but how do we tell them, stop doing that? Well, uh, there, there's a number of ways to do that. You know, like, for instance, I talked about uh, the beginning of Energize, right? And I, I, I talked more about that as opposed to the other four um, areas. But the, the, to get people to stop is very difficult because the project gets on a momentum, right? And or a program mm-hmm. gets on a momentum on its own, and and so people are so busy doing their their regular work, and if I'm understanding you correctly in your question, they're so busy, nobody takes time to raise their head and look look up from their desks or or from their uh, workstation and say, hey, where are we going with this? Why do we keep running around in circles? Why, uh, you know, we got to call a stop to this. So this is, you know, unfortunately... Uh, what often happens, so many egos are involved on a project uh, or a program. And mm-hmm. so uh, that runs, by the way, as a former corporate auditor, uh, I found it's very hard for people uh, to um, stop what they're doing and admit that what they're doing doesn't really uh, really uh, further the interest of the project, or they don't they don't see themselves like the rest of the the team going off the, the end of a cliff, like a herd of a herd of buffalo. So mm-hmm. the, the whole idea is it, it, what what you need to do is first of all, uh, some of the things that you can do is if management calls you in to turn a project around. It's relatively easy because they're calling you in to say, "Hey, you've got to, uh, we've got to stop what we're doing, and we got to uh, back up and regroup." And and so that's what my five areas that I talk about are are important. The other, uh, another thing, though, if you got your project and it is getting in trouble, it's incumbent upon you as a project manager to raise the flag. Uh, to your management and say, look, uh, the plans we got, the vision we've got, um, the performance uh, metrics on the project do not show that what we're doing is really value-added to the, uh, to the customer or client in, in terms of, um, of delivering uh, the, the end, 
end result. Uh, and so uh, it, it, the project manager has a responsibility to raise the flag and to say that that the project is not performing as well. Now, if they've got good communication tools or techniques in place, this should be a non-issue. If it looks like the performance against the schedule or costs are being overrun or there's uh, quality uh, key performance indicators are showing that the project's not going to deliver what it needs to deliver to the customer according to expectations, then uh, the project manager needs to raise that issue up to a steering committee or to their sponsor or whatever. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people, not all people, but a good sizable number of people are hoping the issue will go, issues will go away. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, they may go away for a while, but as you get down the life cycle of the project, all of a sudden things blow up. And as a result, uh, you know, nobody leaves the, the, the project happy or the project gets terminated prematurely. It takes a lot of guts for a project manager to raise the flag, but it also takes a lot of guts for the steering committee members and also the uh, or the sponsor uh, to, uh, uh, to say, you know, this project isn't going to where it's supposed to do. We've got we to gotta stop and, and, and rethink what we're doing and it may have to take a whole new approach. And that includes not just the project manager, but also team members. If they feel comfortable communicating and you built a good uh, trusting relationship with your team members, they will bring up issues and say, we need to take a different tact here. It's not working. And so good communication disciplines um, are very important on a project. Um, and the best way to do that is to get people engaged in in the project, getting a sense of ownership by building the plans, uh, participating in meetings, uh, being willing to wait, uh, raise the flag uh, when it, uh, when circumstances do arise uh, that need to be uh, uh, you know need to be addressed, uh, and it's an ethical issue. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, you're really talking about ethics as well. Um, and, and of course, there's a way to communicate this. You don't be obnoxious and say this is, you know, this is terrible or whatever. You know, you got to be uh, diplomatic and you got to look at the audience that you're communicating with and be able to ask for help. That's another thing: is be willing. Everybody on the team, including the project manager or program manager, must be willing to ask for help when they need it. And uh, so, so I, I, I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does, actually. And it uh, got me thinking about a couple of other things, like <laughs> like my mind's always racing here. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the show, you know, different people are going to be writing those business continuity plans. What happens if you're, uh, you know, you need them delivered as of such and such a date because you're going to be having a tabletop validation exercise of some sort, you know, mm-hmm. uh, shortly thereafter. But one's lagging behind. How do you do? You use your your same approach of energize and vision type thing to get that um, lagging group and their BCP back on track, or is, do you suggest something else? 
Well, no. I mean, it's 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 really fundamentally good project management. If you're a project manager and you've got owner, you got people buying into the plans. Um, you know, when you have your regular meetings, you, you, whether they're status review meetings or you have uh, reviews, uh, any type of review, of, uh, you want to be able to. Um, you, 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 you know, everybody should know what the plan is, and everybody mm-hmm. should know where they fit within the plan. And right. as the status goes in, um, you know, you'll know. Uh, what areas are not succeeding, especially when you start getting a group meeting and people start sharing and saying, hey, look, I need this information. You were supposed to provide it to me on this certain date, and here's the consequences on, uh, on me if I don't get that information, especially when you get mm-hmm. in a cross-functional environment. And, and, and so, um, so people need to see and understand just exactly what the role is. And that's what good planning does, is people get ownership and they understand where they fit in the whole scheme of things, uh, and they just don't feel, um, you know, like, oh, I'll just do my thing, and, and it doesn't impact anybody else. And as a, as a, as a consequence, um, you need to constantly be able to take, be persistent and consistent, in terms of collecting status regarding your project. And unfortunately, so it, uh, a lot of times, people aren't consistent and persistent in terms of collecting status. And so uh, what happens is is uh, people don't know where they really fit. Uh, you know, really, mm-hmm. what really, just, just as a side note, what really gets me going is that there's a lot of effort putting in uh, putting in plans and then the plans sit on a shelf and nobody uh, uh, checks the plans, you know, and revisits the plans and use them at the status meetings. There's got to be the project manager has to keep have uh, take the impetus is on him or her to make sure that those plans are being followed and when they're not being followed to raise the issue. Um, and, and one of the nice things. Is I will say this, one of the nice things in the world in the modern age is email. And, mm-hmm. um, and the reason why I say that is because if somebody is not participating, there's always a CC, and it sounds negative, to CC their boss. Just to let them yeah, know, hey, yeah. you're behind on something, and, and they see the CC, and they see their boss's name on the CC. And, and then the other one is, and I like to use is um, to make sure that people perform in a compliance. If it looks like things are falling behind, I have the, uh, what, I forgot, it, it escaped me the name for, uh, uh, for every daily meeting at 7.30 every morning. It's only 15 minutes, and you do oh, the, like the round up. robin. What's that? Uh, like a, a stand-up? A quick stand-up? Yeah, a stand-up meeting. So you have like a stand-up yeah. meeting or a scrum meeting, I guess maybe you call it. And, you, and so you sure. get and – you, and you sit around. You don't solve any problems, but you talk about what you did the day before and the day after. And for some reason – I think I know what the reason is. If you keep it long enough, people will start following the schedule. And, uh, mm-hmm. But you've got to get – good management support for that because there's there's always a little bit of grumbling with that but that's that's the two <laughs> techniques that work I, i've seen work pretty well in my environment anyway 
we've got less than two minutes. Do you have any final comment you'd uh, well, like to uh, yeah, uh, say about I, I programs and I'd just like to uh, leave this thought, whether you do the, uh, you know, Energize, you do the Envision, the Explore, the Evaluate, or the Execute, um, keep in mind that there's always going to be a need to, uh, to look for and overcome the negative baggage that can come with a project that's in trouble. So you need to be aware of that. And I, and I think the next one that uh, I'd like to leave is also kind of the inverse of that, is always try to keep the project in a positive direction, both from, mm-hmm. a, from a people standpoint but also from a metric standpoint. And if it starts right. deviating from that, then you need to take some type of um, remedial or corrective action uh, to get back into a more positive vein. And that would be my two biggest suggestions uh, for dealing with projects in trouble. So I want to thank uh, Ralph. Uh, we've come to the end of our show. Ralph, thanks for joining us, and uh, congratulations on the book, Managing Projects in Trouble. Uh, to everybody out there, if there's a topic you want us to talk about, please feel free, send me an email. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to have another live event in Phoenix at the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference in September, October. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.